got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that. You don't got time to say. All right, let's go. Crank it. Crank it, Glenn Cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Adam Drovetta on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. KU scorching the Nets last night. 102-83, final score over Kansas State. Um... You know, interesting decision. I I don't know. Maybe this was a Bruce Weber thing. Maybe this was a K-State players thing. But uh, interesting decision to try to run with KU. Yeah. <laughs> it did that not work was, out well. No, no. I, I don't know what the... I don't know what their mindset was, but this was... Of all the Bill Self teams you try to run... This is like trying to run with the Roy Williams team. Yeah. Like run with last of, year's of, team. Of all the Bill it. Self teams you try to force into running, this is not <laughs> the one. Uh, KU in games with 70 possessions or higher is 13-0. and They're still a good team in lower possession games. Uh, in games with under 70 possessions, they're still 10-4, and four, which is a good record, especially considering all the losses with the exception of Dayton. And even Dayton's a top 50 Ken Palm team are good teams. Texas, Kentucky, and Texas Tech. Um, but, again, you were just playing into their strength. And not only did K-State run with KU, that was the fastest-paced game that KU has played all season. And happens to be the only the second time in the history of the rivalry that KU clips the 100 mark for... And the last one, for the record, the the only other time that that KU has scored over a, or a hundred points or more against K State was probably the greatest offensive team in the history of the University of Kansas men's basketball program. That was 2002, and that was a team that was averaging like 90 a game. That was a team that scored a hundred points in like eight of nine games at one stretch. That that's the team that KU was able to match last night offensively against K State. And this team is great offensively. They're one of the best offensive teams in the nation. They're not the team that they're not the O two team, but yep. they they still at least against K State. And I think that was somewhat related to KU being really good offensively, but also to K State going, let's just put the, let's just put them in their most comfortable possible position. Yeah, um, I think that it's hard when I'm what I'm about to say here because wins are the most fun thing to watch when you're covering a team or when you're rooting for a team whatever it is like winning regardless of how you win it's it's going to be fun doing that but clearly having an elite offense and doing things that you did last night like that is the most fun way in my opinion to, I, yeah. to watch it and like I would look at again like last year's team just wasn't as good so it's hard to compare them yeah. but just compare the viewing experience from this year to last year. It is night and day. Well, like, even if you look at another team this year, I, Texas Tech fans have all the right in the world mm-hmm. and reason in the world to be thrilled with their basketball program. They should be so excited, and they are excited. Not only are they so excited in Lubbock, they're so excited they're taking road trips to Austin to buy out that place. And so, they're, I mean, they have every reason to be super excited because they've got a, a top ten, a legitimate Final Four contender in Lubbock right now. But... I and again, maybe it's just red and blue glasses, but I think Kansas is just a more fun team to watch this year yeah. than that team because they're just 
You know, it's like Virginia. Virginia won a national championship. They that's a that's a winning that's a winning um, philosophy. What they do there, but it's not fun to watch. No, you know what's weird about last night too with that offensive effort, like the Baylor game, because that, that was just a week after the Kentucky game, and and you know that was a point in the season when I was getting to a point where do we adjust this team's expectations to just if you make a Sweet Sixteen, great. Anything after that is cherry on top. After the Baylor game, I think the expectations went back to. Well, you, you want to make a Final Four. It doesn't mean it's not a success if you only make it to the Elite Eight. It's just those are the expectations where you're putting it. Last night, because I, I said this on yesterday's show, I said that as, as good as KU is, I still think they could make a Final Four and everything. It's hard for me to see them cutting down the national championship nets when I watch Kentucky and Gonzaga and Arizona. Last night, even though Kansas State is just a bubble team, and even though they're not a great team, with the way that offense played, I sat there going... This offense is by far good enough to win a national title. If the other team chooses, even if it's Gonzaga, Arizona, or Kentucky, if the other team chooses to run, it's kind of like North Carolina in the 08 semifinal. Um, now, that was just, that was running is kind of the only way North Carolina knew how to play. And going into that game, everybody thought KU's going to have to slow this down. And no, it was a run and gun game. KU got up huge. North Carolina made their comeback, but then KU wound up winning by 18 points. And what they proved that game was Kansas was a team as a team was very their ideal situation their style wasn't running like that game in and game out but if you want to get them into a track meet they're plenty talented and athletic enough to do that mm -hmm. I think this year if you are if you are Gonzaga Kentucky or Arizona who I think I we saw Kentucky um, a, a straight up against KU. And I think this is true for Arizona Gonzaga as well. I think those three teams have a clear athletic advantage over KU. But it's funny because Kentucky played it to a lower tempo game. But that's what I'm saying. I, I actually think even though when you have the athletic advantage, you'd think the other way. As good as this team is offensively, especially as good as Christian Brown is in a run and gun transition ball game, um, I almost think that if you have the athletic advantage with those, over KU, which those three teams do. You almost want it to be a slower tempo game. Well, it makes sense which a lot with weird Kentucky to too, because you know if it's too fast paced, you're not going to be able to get Oscar Shibway up and down the court enough yeah. to make the impact of of the rebounding. But Gonzaga like, can win in any way you yeah. want to play him. I just think for KU's sake, mm -hmm. it's almost like man, it would be it would almost be better to to play it. You know, just a couple teams in the 80s or 90s would be KU's best shot against a team like Gonzaga. Yeah. And and last night, like, we've seen stretches like that over game. Like, I mean, the, the Missouri game as a whole. But just in, in terms of conference play, what's funny is is the Oklahoma State games, both of them, um, and, and there's other games as well, but those two are just coming to mind right now, are games where for maybe 30 minutes of the game, you played exactly like any 30-minute stretch of last night. Like, the Oklahoma State game in Stillwater, you scored mid-70s. I think you had 76, and you didn't score for that nine-and-a-half-minute stretch. So, basically, you scored 76 points in 30 minutes. That prorates out to be in about 100 points over a 40-minute stretch. The difference last night was that it wasn't just elite offense for a 30-minute stretch. It was elite offense all 40 minutes. There was not a lull yeah, at all last night. They It was bam, bam, bam. I'm trying to think. Was it 10... Was it was it thirteen to twelve K State's last lead or like twelve to eleven something like that? It, it was, was early on. K ended up leading it was, for thirty six minutes 13, or so. Thirteen thirty eight was the last, and it was back and forth. It's not like K State started with the lead. 
But it was back and forth. I think K-State's last lead was at the 13-38 mark, and it was like a one-point lead. And it was, I mean, would Kansas have 40-49 at halftime? Something like that. Were they, no, 51? I think no, had, I think they had 53. It's 53? like 53-42. 53 at halftime. Mm. I mean, so yeah, it, it was, there was never a break. And on top of that, it was fun because there was it was there was never a break, but it was also just like at no point realistically, I don't think at any point did you think at least late was it was K State in the game. So you're watching a fun brand of basketball. You barring something really bizarre, you knew your team was going to win from about I would say at least halftime on, if not before. Um, it, it was just a fun. It was a really exciting type of basketball to watch. Well, and you know, I'll ask because we're going to have Jesse Newell join the show in, I don't know, 25, 30 minutes from right now. Um, and one thing I'm curious about, I think I brought this up with CJ last week. You know, when when things get out of conference play and we get to the NCAA tournament, I don't know how much we take from the non-con where KU's offense was able to, to run more than it has overall in Big 12 play because last night was more of the aberration of what they've been able to do over the course of a game, being able to get out and run. But that's who they were in the non-con. I don't know how much of that was just the opponents, how much was Remy Martin or whatever, but I'll be interested to see if that carries over into the NCAA tournament. And I think more than anything, like, yes, Kansas State is, is probably the worst defense in the Big 12, but they're still a top 55 nationally ranked defense. And once you get into the NCAA tournament, it'll all depend. We don't know what the matchups will be. But there's a chance that, you know, teams you play along the way, or maybe, who knows, every team you play along the way, none of them are, like, up to par with the best defenses in the Big 12. And, like, who knows, what if this this KU team gets into the tournament and they just put together performances like that and we sit there and go, yeah, maybe we should have been more prepared for this because maybe it was just the games where we thought the offense maybe hit lulls and, and stuff like that. It was just because you were playing great defenses. You made the comparison. I can't remember if it was with with Kevin Flaherty or maybe Dave Amon, but uh, you made a comparison to a batter on in the on deck circle using mm-hmm. the using the donut weight on their bat, and then they're swinging with the weight, they're swinging with the weight, they're swinging with the weight, and then all of a sudden they're just swinging with the bat, so it feels so much lighter. That's kind of I think you saw a a small version of that of what that might look like when KU's out of the Big 12 and into the NCAA tournament, and they aren't playing, depending, of course, on the matchups, they aren't if they're not playing such stifling defenses. Um, I think you got a small taste of that going from West Virginia's defense to K-State. Yeah. And I, K-State, like you said, is still one of the top 50 defenses, but West Virginia's is better. Mm-hmm. I think that I should probably bring up the defense because it wasn't great last night. You did force more turnovers than normal. That's a good sign, but... Um, I think it's probably also just tough against small, quick guards in a fast game. And I think if we did want to get into the defense, like the biggest takeaway for me is just that maybe as we look at possible matchups in the NCAA tournament, correlations between KU's biggest defensive problems, biggest uh, defensive letdown games come against teams with quick guards, Kentucky, Dayton, Kansas State both times, just in terms of the defense. But still, again, like that's the beauty of the offense. The offense was so good that, you know, as an example, again, comparing to last year, which again wasn't as good of a team, so it's not a, a great 100% to 100% comparison, but you had a team where if the defense played an A-plus game, you might win the game by 8 to 10 points. Yeah. With this team, if the offense, which is their better unit, plays an 8-plus game, you can win by 20 to 30, and that's yeah. the beauty of last night. Um, that's why I still think Kentucky, as much as that, as much as that was a matchup problem, 
for KU in terms of uh, Kentucky's crazy athleticism and the fact that they have two really talented lead guards. Um, I do think that was somewhat, somewhat self-inflicted wounds. I think if KU and Kentucky play again, if they play on a neutral court, Kentucky will be favored. And by, I will, depending on, I would probably agree with them being favored by any number that they're favored by, um, unless it's some extreme number that just looks ridiculous. But in general, Kentucky should, will be, and should be favored against Kansas. But I do think that that the how extreme that loss was was a lot of self-inflicted wounds by Kansas. I think some of it was Kentucky playing incredibly well um, and athletically just so difficult to match up with for Kansas. Uh, but I also think that they just were – I think Kansas committed some some errors that they shouldn't have or the, and that, that under – you know, in any 10-game stretch, they won't do more than a couple times. Yeah, I think all that's fair. Um, you know – the three-point shooting, obviously, will get a lot of pub, as it should. It was great last night, 15 of 24. Uh, part of it, as we talked about, like, this team is Ochag Baji, who's a great, elite, high-volume three-point shooter. The rest of the guys have struggled a little bit. Jalen Coleman-Lands is the same as Ochai. He just doesn't get as much time. Last night, he did get enough time, and he went for three for three, which which obviously helps in that regard. But the three-point shooting was great last night. I, I don't think all of that is... Um, I guess fool's gold, as, as the old Bill Self quote goes, K-State uh, just kind of plays into that, that you're going to get some more open three-point looks. Now, you don't expect them to go 15 of 24 every game. But what I do think is interesting of last night that maybe you look at and say is is more sustainable moving forward and just adds to the idea of how much of a juggernaut this offense can be, because that's basically what it's saying. If you hit threes like that, you are just unstoppable, and you can still be one of the top five offenses, even if you are only hitting threes at about an average rate at a 33, 34, 35% clip. Last night, beyond the three-point shooting being bananas, uh, they shot over 60% on two-point shots uh, on high volume. I think they went 24, 25, 41 overall for the game. That is very, very good. And right now, this team ranks as one of the top teams in Bill Self history in two-point percentage, which is incredible because some of those other teams have had elite post guys inside. Yeah. But this team's doing it differently. That is the seventh game for KU this year where they've shot above 60% on two-point shots. Out of uh, comparison, Gonzaga is the number one team in the country in two-point shooting overall on the season. They're shooting 59.8%. So KU's had seven games above that mark. They've also had 15 games this year above 55%. So more than half of KU's game this season, games this season, they're shooting 55% or better on two-point shots, which would be one of the best marks in the entire country. And it's funny because they only have one player that regularly plays. Now, Jalen Coleman-Lands does get in, but they only have one player who regularly plays that is a great three-point shooter. Usually, and maybe, I, I don't know, we could maybe ask Jesse and I could be set straight and I'm a huge idiot, but I would just think that if, if you, that something that would help you become a great two-point shooting team would be if you are a great three-point shooting team, teams have to get up on you more and that that opens lanes up to drive. Um, but maybe not, I, I don't know, but I, it just it's funny to me that, that they're so good. They're not terrible shooting the ball three point some of their players could you know are not particularly good but as a team they're not terrible shooting the three 
But yeah, they're they're really good, and it, and it's everybody. That's the thing. It's everybody. It's not like one guy, you know. It's not like Doak breaking the or mm-hmm. or breaking or approaching. Didn't Taco Fall break his record though? No, Doak broke. Well, ta- but regardless, I think it went back and forth. It, it's it's not like those two just shooting historic numbers from from two point range because they're just so dominant once they catch it inside the blocks. It's everybody. It's everybody. And it's multiple guys who can drive. It's multiple guys who can uh, throw it inside. David McCormick improving by a whole bunch over the course of the season. They're they're not only can they sh- they not only are they good at shooting from two, they can score from two in multiple different ways. Yeah, uh, I'm glad you brought up that team because that's always one I think about when uh, one of the best two point offenses in, in Bills office. I think 2010-11 was the best, but um, that team had Doak, like you said, who was putting up. Crazy efficiency. Devon Dotson was elite at getting to the rim. That team shot 54.9% from two, which was an elite number. This team's shooting 2% better than that from That's two crazy. on the season. And this, is a, this is a fun. It is. It's just so fun to watch. I, I, it just, and, and I think it's really fun to watch. Again, and I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to, look, last year was a three seed. K, Bill Self has not had a bad team at KU. They've been a four seed or better every single year. Bill Self has not coached a bad basketball team since he's been here at KU. So I don't want to too much pick on, but when you have a team like 2019 who kind of really needed um, Lawson so much, mm-hmm. and then last year's team who, who kind of struggled offensively, um, they were still really, really great. I mean, they were top 20 teams. Um, but then we, it, in you know, it's just been such a drastic turnaround from last year. They're so good, but they're just such a blast to watch play. These are KU's offensive ranks in conference play. First in offensive efficiency, first in effective field goal percentage, second in offensive rebound rate, uh, first in three-point shooting, first in two-point shooting. I mean, they shoot it well. They get their own misses. The only thing they don't do well is taking care of the basketball. Can you imagine how much more they'd be scoring if they didn't turn it over so damn much? Because they're getting now, you could argue that on the other side of that, they're they're offsetting some of the turnover penalties by giving themselves extra possessions mm-hmm. with the offensive rebounding. But if they still have that offensive rebounding ability and they cut cut down the turnovers a little bit, now I I don't know. There could be something about the way they play that if you if well, just you, in general, more if cutting you, offenses yeah. are going to turn it over more if exactly. you're driving so more. If, if you intentionally try to cut down the turnovers, you may it may yeah. be like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. You may be losing something. Mm-hmm. But there's good. a couple turnovers every game where it's just like what that the was hell? right the end of the West Virginia first yeah. half against uh, the end of the first half in, in Morgantown. You're also forcing the least amount of turnovers per game in the Big 12. So, like, you can also say the offense will get better if they force more steals because it's easier buckets going the other way. Uh, It is just remarkable what this KU offense has been, especially when you compare it to last year. And when you look at it, it's a a lot of the cast of the same characters from last year. This isn't, hey, Remy Martin came in and he's averaging 20 points per game and Joe Yesufu came in and he's averaging 15 a game and they just completely changed the offense and we've been getting second-half Dave. No, that's not the case. It's pretty much the same guys, but they're just a lot better than they were last year. Ochai's made Ochai's made the, the every every now and then you, you've probably had five or so players who've made the whoa jump mm-hmm. from one year to the next. Where you, and then you you inevitably hear stories of how they, you know, had three practices a day throughout the summer <laughs> and they turned themselves from a borderline first round pick into a lottery pick. Ochai's done that. Yes, he has. That's the beauty of this team's style. Unlike last season when they had a good defense, bad offense, they had to grind everything out. 
Um, obviously, in a bigger game, they're going to need both. But last night, yet another reminder of how potent this offense really is and how when it is clicking and running uh, and getting in the open floor, tough to beat. All right, with Adam Dravet, I'm Derek Johnson. Jesse Newell will join the show in about 15 minutes. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Welcome back in. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN with Adam Dravetta, Derek Johnson, joined now by Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star. Uh, Jesse, if I would have, you know, gone back in time and, and obviously if I had a time machine, I would be using it for this specific purpose and nothing else. Um, and I told you before the season, old Jesse, uh, how the Remy Martin story would unfold. And yet, that this would be one of Bill Self's best offenses, what would you tell the older version of yourself, the 2021 version of Jesse Newell? <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I think that would have been surprising. I think the only thing that would have led me to think that would have been possible, and it still probably wouldn't have turned out the way I would have thought, would be that how Bill Self recruited this offseason and how he recruited the point guard position, at least at the time, what was the point guard position, when it just seemed like they knew they had a need there. And so they got one guy and then they got another guy and then they got another guy. You know, it was almost like an embarrassment of wealth that was like, okay, why don't you go up Joe Yusufu, who averaged 25 points in the last eight games or whatever. And then, okay, go grab Bobby Pettiford. He's a top 100 guard and, you know, could be a great program player. And, okay, now you're going to grab Remy Martin on top of all that and, and sort of gave KU options on top of options at that particular position. Now, again, it hasn't played out as we thought, and Joseph Yesifu hasn't really been a true point guard. Bill Self explained why earlier this week, talking about how he had him mostly play combo guard in practice off guard because he thought that Remy Martin and Bobby Pettiford would play point guard a lot more for Kansas, and injuries have limited that. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think that would have been the only thing I would have said is we obviously knew going into the season that Bill Self really liked DeWan Harris, but I probably would have thought that maybe one of those other guys could have stepped up in Randy Martin's place. And uh, when you have so many other options, sometimes one of them works out. And uh, for the most part, it's been DeWan Harris. And then the other dudes being Christian Brown, Jalen Wilson, and Ochai Abaji just elevating themselves to a completely different level. But uh, yeah, that you find a way to make the pieces fit. And that's what Kansas has done this year. I had this theory with uh, C.J. Moore, who we had on last Friday, who uh, jibbed you a little bit on the show. I don't know if you heard it, but um, uh, the KU could approach the NCAA tournament as like, you know, when, you, when you're warming up in the batter's area and you put the donut on the bat so that once you take the donut off and you go up into the, on, or into the uh, batter's box, you feel like you're swinging a lot faster. And... I know this is still three weeks away, but we always hear about the NCAA tournament slowing down. And so this is going to kind of go in counter with what I'm saying. Um, but I, I don't know if that's a cliche or if there's truth to that. I, I do feel like it's true. But again, I don't know if there's evidence to support that. Either way, with with the slowing down of the NCAA tournament, and then on the other hand, this theory of mine with, with the bat and KU basically right now, Big 12 play is them swinging in the on-deck circle with the 
donut on where it's it's like playing with extra resistance against all these great defenses in the league. Uh, and then once you go into the NCAA tournament, it's like you take the the donut off and and maybe you're going to be matched up against a bunch of defenses that aren't playing the no middles defense or aren't elite defenses. I, I guess, how do you think KU's style, when, when taking both those in mind, uh, is going to fit or, or maybe could fare come tournament time? Yeah, that's a good question. And if CJ zinged to me, then set it up on a T for me at some point because we can zing him right back. <laughs> um, he definitely deserves it. Uh, so your point is valid in the fact that if you look at Ken Pomeroy's numbers and you guys know, I do, I mean, you know, that's the fact, um, KU has played the hardest defensive schedule in the nation this year. You know, you can look at strength of schedule. You can look at offensive strength of schedule. You can look at defensive strength of schedule. Uh, KU's played the hardest defensive strength of schedule in the entire nation. And it makes sense. I mean, basically if you play in the big 12, you got a great chance of being in the top 10 because of how good those defenses are. And, that's why teams like Oklahoma, K-State, West Virginia, Baylor, Oklahoma State are also in the top ten. But um, if you're using your donut reference, that's probably what you're talking about, which is whoever KU faces in the first couple rounds of the NCAA tournament, their defense isn't going to be as good as what they face in the Big 12, most likely, because now KU's just getting used to, you know, facing the 98-mile-an-hour fastballs in, in the cage. You know, they, they are getting used to always playing difficult defenses every night. So if you – get to a 15 or 16 seed in the opener and you face a team that doesn't have all those things or doesn't force the kind of create kind of havoc that these defenses do, then potentially it could be a little bit easier. I will go a little bit different though. I mean, it's such a crapshoot obviously, and you can face so many teams with so many matchups, but I, I, I have to be honest with you. I think over time I've kind of gone back and forth on this and I think I've kind of swung back in the other direction. There are matchup things that potentially can harm teams, okay? Like, there are certain styles that can expose opponents. But having done this over time, I think what you learn is that while that is true, when those things – okay, so let's take, like, Oklahoma. Oklahoma plays the pick-and-pop from three. That can hurt Kansas because Dave McCormick's not very good at defending pick-and-pops, Okay. For Kansas, though, Kansas has a really good coaching staff, and they have guys that they can adjust to that. And because Oklahoma plays so pick-and-pop and Tanner Grove, they also aren't as good defensively inside. You can also post up your players. There's also things you can do offensively that are available because Oklahoma is playing the pick-and-pop. So I guess what I'm saying is I think sometimes the matchup stuff can be a little bit overrated because – if you play the game out over 100 times, there's going to be 20 games where you take advantage of it. There's going to be 20 games where you don't. There's going to be 60 games in the middle where it's not really a factor. But sometimes we got to get caught in our mind the one-game sample where, oh, my gosh, the pick-and-pop completely killed Kansas. What I think makes a bigger difference, and that's where these predictive measures come in, is just how good is your team? How high is your ceiling? What, what level are you playing at? And that's why sometimes I rely so much on the Vegas Lions here because well, if you're Bill Self, what you want from your Kansas team is what's ideal you want to be favored in every game you play going into the Final Four. I mean, that's the way to make the Final Four. You know, it's, it's not to get the right matchup or to potentially be in a bracket or whatever the case may be. If you're a 20-point favorite and then a 10-point favorite and then a 6-point favorite and then a 3-point favorite because your team's so darn good this year, that's a great position to be a Final Four team. And so that's really, I think, what you have to focus on. Uh, so I think for Kansas, you want to be matchup-proof, which I think that's good for the tournament. I think it's good to have a – 
a pick and pop defender like Zach Clements or a, a switch five defender like KJ Adams and, and always have sort of a break glass in case of emergency player you can go to in that sort of setting. But I, I think more than anything, if you're looking for the teams that win the tournament, you're looking for the best teams. You know, you're looking for the teams that have been elite over the course of the season. And uh, the good news for Kansas is they've moved more in that direction here in the last two weeks based off the numbers they've had and based off the results they've had uh, with their offense really soaring and their defense making some good strides as well outside of what you saw against K-State last night. Jesse, as a general rule, um, and I need you to answer in a certain way to make me look good, um, it, it, as a general rule, if you are a less athletic team playing a really good, really athletic team, you almost want to slow the game down. But as good as this Kansas offense is, if they run up against a team like Kentucky um, or Gonzaga, as good as this KU team is playing fast, playing up and down, even though those two teams have a big athletic advantage over KU, is it almost more the opposite for them that it's in their best interest to try to slow it down and force KU into a, an offensive a half, you know, a half court game. You know, I think you do what you do. Um, and I was actually just thinking about this. Uh, KU's three best games of the year, I would say would be Missouri, Baylor at home, and then K-State last night. And you look at the possession numbers on those games and they're through the roof. I mean, when Kansas plays fast, their offense plays better. And some of the numbers correlate to that as well. If you look, you know, as, quote, as KU plays faster, their offensive efficiency increases. Their points for possession goes up. So, but, I mean, Gonzaga and Arizona run on everybody, too. So, I, I, if I'm Gonzaga, they've been pretty good this year. I'm probably playing how Gonzaga plays. If I'm Arizona, they've been good, too. I'm probably playing how Arizona plays. Outside of those two, I don't know that there's a team that really wants to run with Kansas. Now, Kentucky, again, we saw the one-game sample. We saw the athleticism. But I still think KU can gain an advantage by running. You know, I think they're still good on the run, and you want to go up against an unset defense. And that's sort of what I'm talking about, uh, the, the one-game sample sometimes painting our worldview of, of what's happened. KU, I think, was a four-and-a-half or a five-point favorite going into that game from Vegas. And then that result happens, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, I mean, all of us are guilty of this as well. I mean, we all could note that the athleticism for Kentucky bothered Kansas in that particular game. But, you know, go back to the previous year. Go back to the COVID year. Uh, the same sort of thing happened. Kentucky had the athletes. KU didn't, and KU won that game. They, they locked down defensively. They rebound. They scrapped. All those sorts of things. So I guess what I'm saying is there's many ways to win basketball games. But to your point, I think Kansas knows that running is its strength. So it should run at any, every, any or, or every opportunity. And whether that's Kentucky, whether that's Gonzaga, whether that's Arizona, it doesn't matter. However, other teams, I don't think running is as much of a strength as it is for Kansas. So outside of Gonzaga, Arizona, maybe Kentucky, I just don't think many teams will want to get in a horse race with KU just because we've seen what happens to other teams when, when that takes place. And KU's offense seems to reach a different sort of magical level and they start to bump it against their ceiling. And uh, that's not something you want for Kansas tournament. You, you want to get them playing where they're not comfortable, and right now they're not as comfortable playing in that court. So I think that's the, the way you try to play it. I, I know I asked you about the the guarded versus unguarded numbers the other day, and and I don't know what yesterday did because obviously a 15 of 24 game from three is gonna you know help a lot of the shooting numbers overall. Uh, but with the, those weird slips uh, splits between guarded and unguarded, like how do you make sense of that with KU being such an elite team at shooting guarded threes versus being a very bad team at shooting unguarded threes and 
Does that tell you there's like an, a, a reversion coming in any way that that could be indicative of? I don't know what to make of it. Um, you know, you would think sort of offsetting regression, if anything, you know, like uh, you would think that K will be better in unguarded shots. They were great in unguarded shots last night. I, I don't remember the previous number, but K is at the 14th percentile now in unguarded. I think they were fifth or sixth percentile when I sent it to you the game before. Uh, so I think that tells you something, too. The, the thing we're talking about here as well is it also is dealing with kind of a small sample. And, and frankly, 30-game season is a small sample. If, if we're just being honest with the numbers, if one game can move you that much, then uh, some of this is just sort of noise. And some of it is got to give Kansas players credit. I mean, if, if you shoot guarded shots that well, then you've been practicing. You've been in the gym. You've been getting real reps with guys coming at you. So that, to me, speaks to guys like Ochai and Christian Brown, and uh, especially those two hitting some difficult shots that maybe other peers haven't been able to make. And you figure some of the, excuse me, the unguarded numbers are going to come up before the season's over. But, uh, yeah, that's, I wrote that in a quick doubt. I said, you know, K-State sort of has been playing on the razor's edge here. They sort of dare you to take threes. They pack the lane. They, they, they you know, close out late, and they kind of dare you to, to outshoot them. And teams just have not been burning them from that. And, I said, hey, you, you dare Katie to make threes out of Fieldhouse, you're sort of you're putting yourself in a dicey spot. And, and that's what you're talking, Katie. I mean, nobody can expect you to make 15 to 24 threes. That's outrageous. And, and KU won't be able to repeat that again probably for another couple of years. But KU probably should have made 10 or 11 of them. You know, they were that open and they were that good a shot. So KU can keep creating those. That's great. And I would expect those, quote, unguarded numbers to go up. As the season goes on, you would just think that over time, those things are going to get closer and closer to average, and KU should not be missing as many open shots as it has so far this season. Well, again, this is another question I have for you that, again, influenced by yesterday with the 15 of 24 from three. Um, but I was looking at numbers for KU. If you take away Ochai Baji and um, everybody else on the team outside of Ochai coming into yesterday was at 31.5% from three. Now, after yesterday, it's up to 32.9%. I guess the question I have, is this a good shooting team or is it just a team that has Ochi Agbaji? Um, um, probably both, right? Um, the thing about having Ochi Agbaji is it moves you up a level no yeah. matter what you're talking well, about. Well, I mean, uh, the thing is you could make the argument that, well, just everybody else on the team has struggled shooting or you could make the argument that, hey, uh, a reversion to the mean is is coming for Jalen Wilson and maybe it started last night with three of four or Christian Brown. Maybe you think he's a better shooter from three, all those things. Like, I, I don't really know what to do with it. I think it's, I think if you're going individually there, I think, I think you would say, okay, Christian Brown's at 35% this year. I think that's, probably the floor. Again, that's a small sample for a one-year time, but his career is 36-37. I think Phil Self has thought of him as a spot-up shooter, so I think it would be better than that. Jalen Wilson's at 29% this year. I think that's the floor for him, too. I mean, I think that number's going to increase and it has in Big 12 play. Dewan Harris is at 31%. I mean, I think that's the floor for him just because he only takes wide-open ones. I mean, when you're only taking wide-open shots and have all day to get it off and you're not taking that many, uh, you know, I, I think that he can shoot better. Now, the question is, can Ochai Baji shoot 45% of all these circus shots he's been shooting? And probably not. So it's kind of like the unguarded guard question, probably. He's probably about the level it should be. Where are they? About top 50, 37% mm-hmm. from three-point range. So they're probably about where they should be. Um, but it's, it's probably because Ochai shot a little bit better than you expect, and those other guys haven't shot quite as well. So they're probably going to end up right about where they are and get there in a different way when the season finally plays out.
We're talking with Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star. All right, on to the entertainment portion of the interview. Kiss, Mary kill. Jesse, this week for you, I got San Diego State, Rutgers, and Boise State. Ooh. Okay. Um, we will uh, we'll marry San Diego State. Um, they are a team after my heart defensively, second in the nation in defense, and they locked down. Uh, I know they just took a loss. I think it was to Boise It was to, State, yeah. Right? Uh, Last yeah, night. Yes, just yesterday, uh, a road game. But uh, that's because, that's okay, because I'm going to kiss Boise State. They've been <laughs> moving up the advanced rankings, too, and have been pretty good. It's, it's hard for them to get some pub, but a uh, pretty good team defensively as well. And uh, we're able to hold off uh, to get that win last night. It's kind of a controversial call at the end, but uh, able to get it done. And then, yeah, Rutgers uh, definitely killed their team. that has been hot late. Want some close games uh, have looked different lately, but the advanced numbers are still very skeptical. So we'll see how they play out over the course of the season. Uh, usually by the end, uh, those things play out, and Rutgers is going to be a team that goes back to its previous level more than uh, what it was in its four-game win streak. So, uh, yeah, I don't have much faith in the Scarlet Knights, and that probably puts me uh, away from many other people out there who sort of were buying into what they were doing here in February. All right, Jesse, before we let you go, one last thing with Adam. All right, Jesse, one last thing. Did you ever own a pair of light-up tennis shoes? Oh, yeah, yeah, growing up, absolutely. That was a thing in Emporia, Kansas, for sure. Um, not my favorite pair, though, because, again, I'll date myself. I love dating myself here on these shows, but <laughs> my favorite pair growing up. I would love dating cool. you, too, Jesse. Yeah, well, ooh, okay. Well, He's a married man, wife, that one. Yeah, I just say, <laughs> we'll leave my wife out of this conversation. Um <laughs> The Reebok pumps, did you guys, you guys are too young. You guys, do you guys even know what the Reebok uh, pumps so are? I'm, I'm a bit older than Derek. I remember, Yes, I was in middle school when the pumps came out and the Warren Sapp commercial bouncing around. Oh, man, yeah. So you'd be sitting there in the library and you'd be a little bored and you'd pump up the shoes and get the air in the, in the, in the tongue of the shoe and your foot would start to fall asleep and you'd you know, lose the boredom. And so, yeah, yeah, I, I had a pair of pumps. That was... Uh, that was a thing, but no, definitely the lineup shoes, and uh, yeah, that's uh, that was that was a cool thing back in the day, back in grade school, you know, not not middle school, grade school. All right, he is Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star. Jesse, thank you for the time as always. Check out his work in the Kansas City Star, KansasCity.com. Appreciate it, man. All right, thanks, guys. All right, Jesse Newell, Kansas City Star, joins us on a Wednesday here on RCST. One hour down, two to go. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Derek Johnson with Adam Dravetta. Four o'clock hour here. Coming up, we're going to draft teams we think can win a national title in college basketball. We've also got some audio to play for you from the post game of the KUK State game last night and more KU basketball talk. But right now, four o'clock on a Wednesday, we go around the world with Adam. All right, we're going to start uh, over in Beijing. Um, mm. They just hosted the Olympics, the Winter Olympics, Derek. All sorts of outdoorsy things. Um, right next to a nuclear I, power. Yeah, plant. I was gonna say I loved the uh, whatever that was skiing. All those, next yeah, year. all those, all those um, ski jumpers are gonna grow like fourth, you know, fifth, third, third and fourth legs, <laughs> two more eyeballs. That'll probably that help them though. If you have a third ski on the ground, boom, yeah, more stability. Really, they're yeah. gonna, yeah, something crazy is gonna happen with that. Um, this from uh, Reuters, although a bunch of different news outlets have been, um, pr- you may have heard of it already. It's, it's not an unpopular story. It's not as um, as um, you know, obscure as some of the stories we tell on around the world. The men's 50-kilometer mass start race uh, in the Beijing Games. This is uh, cross-country skiing, which I love. I think it looks exhilarating to do. It was shortened to 30 kilometers, but that did little to help Finland's Remy Lindholm, who needed a heat pack at the end of the race. 
He froze something, Derek. What <gasps> did he freeze? Oh, no. I thought this was just going to be like he needs a heat pack because, you know, something was sore. Oh, no. He Please got, tell me he didn't freeze his oh, you-know-whats. He, he sure did. Oh, no. I, I don't I don't know if he froze them, but I know he froze it. Oh. Uh, is that worse? Better? I, I don't know. I don't, all, all I'm, not gonna, I'm not going to. I'm not going <laughs> to. I'm not going to judge. I'm not going to judge which one's mm -hmm. worse. Um, Lindholm spent just an hour and 16 minutes traversing the course in howling, freezing winds. The condition is uh, called polar penis. Okay. Very scientific. <laughs> yeah. That's what it's called. I didn't come up with that. Uh, became frozen. That became frozen for the second time in a cross-country skiing race oh, following dude. a similar incident in Finland last year. How did he not quit after the first yeah, time it happened? That's the best I question. wouldn't even start. First off, as soon as somebody said to me, look, these are the things you could tear an ACL. Okay, I could do that in most sports. You know, you might fall and break something. Okay, whatever. This might freeze. Done. Not going to happen. Uh, like Just ne not knowing that it could happen would keep me from doing it. The fact that it happened to the guy once already, you think it's genetics? You think some people are just born with one that just freezes more? Freezes, is like, more apt to freeze yeah. than others? I mean, there's two questions there. It's like, why did you not quit? And then second off, if you didn't quit, why did you not start taking way more precautions? Because clearly that, yeah. to me, would be like a life-changing event that I would, I would want to make sure never happens again. Could you imagine if that happened in like, you know, one of the big sports in America, like, NFL, we're taught we're at like the NFL like award it, show, and yeah. they're like, uh, like your, your yeah. NFL comeback player of the year. Like, is. yeah, like it happens during a playoff yeah. game in Green Bay. Uh huh. And so he's got, and then like the next year, the With guy comeback player of the year. Yeah, he has to give a speech at the award show. It's like uh, <laughs> that would, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, with organizers worried about frostbite during Saturday's race, it was delayed by an hour and shortened to tw by twenty kilometers. The thin suits and underlayers worn by races as well as plasters to cover their faces and ears offered little protection. He explained that he used a heat back to try to thaw it out once the race was over. Um, once the rest of the body started to warm up after the finish, the pain was unbearable. Oh, man. That sounds like hell. That yes, sounds like absolute Is that, hell. Okay. Like, what are the worst injuries you could suffer? That would clearly be one of the worst, like, like sports injuries. I mean, as far you know? as non-life-threatening ones, yeah, yeah, yeah. that would be really bad. That's what I mean. Like, ACL, don't get me wrong, like, tearing an ACL the, or something would suck, but you you can still, like, you don't technically have to get surgery. You can just, like, limp through the rest of your life and never, like, what, juke and cut. One of the most painful things is, you ever bash your knee and never, like, you yeah. know that type of knee, it, it, you bash your knee and it never actually causes permanent damage, just knee to but knee in the usually. moment you think you're going to puke? Yeah, maybe we should do a top 10 rankings of injuries that you don't actually have to, like, be sidelined for, but they hurt. Oh, like a rolled that, ankle. That would have, like, I can't, you that know? would be awful. Yeah. All right, next, we're moving on to uh, Texas, although this, you'd think, is uh, something that would be in Australia. This happened in Texas. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service said what well, it, it was a type of bird, the first member of its species to be documented in the United States. Derek, what is this bird called? Hmm... Vulture. I don't know. The Fish and Wildlife Service said in a Facebook post that the bat falcon was photographed what? at the Santa Ana National Wildlife Dude, Refuge. Dude, that in sounds Texas. like a minor league baseball team. The bat falcon. Yeah. The Des Moines bat falcon. Yeah, right. <laughs> this is the first time recorded that a bat falcon has ever been seen in the U.S., the post said. The species is typically found in Mexico, Central America, and South America. So, with climate change, uh, the, the globe as a whole is getting hotter. It's the same reason we're seeing armadillos up this way. 
Um, Those are actually armadillo possums. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's Um, spider ants now. The Santa Ana Wildlife Refuge said that the bat falcon was first spotted in December and is believed to be a juvenile due to its coloration and its penchant for vandalism. I added that part. The size and shape of the avian's beak implies it is likely male, the refuge said. Okay, but do they know for sure it is like falcon? Is it part bat, part falcon, or is it just like... I think that's a specific breed of falcon. You know, like Batman is a man who dresses up as a bat, but he's not part bat, part man. But Spider-Man is part spider, part man. Sort of. Could you imagine if it it was instead of Batman, it was man bat? And it was a, a bat dressed like a man. You know how terrifying that would be? But I, it doesn't... I, I really wish... This story, by the way, was from the UPI. I wish they would have... Um, I wish they would have expanded upon what makes it a bat falcon. Yeah, see, that's what I'm saying. There's there's other... I, I can't think of one off the top of my head, but, like, there's other species of animal that are called, like, a another animal in the name, but they're yeah. not actually part that animal. Like, sometimes... Maybe people, it sleeps upside down? Yes. Like, sometimes people call... Like, I'm a human radio Like, host. monkey spider. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spider, spider monkey, monkey. Spider monkey. I completely messed that or, up. Or, uh, uh, what's... There's a, a... Yeah. Um, like, I am a human radio host. Some people call mm. me a jackass radio host. <laughs> so, that's another example that we would get into. Um, this one is from, uh, The Mirror in, uh, the UK. Don't know specifically where in the UK, but... A frustrated mom wrote an offensive message in her daughter's meal, uh, and it's apparently left other parents on social media divided. Apparently, this woman uh, TikToks a lot of her goings-on as a mother. Mm-hmm. Her name is Emma. She has a, a, a child who I think is about two, one or two from the uh, old enough to eat, you know, more grown-up food. Yeah, so not just but, having baby food. Yeah, but to- yeah. a toddler. Shared a video of the meal she had uh, dished up for her child. Apparently, um, she wrote, she used uh, some of the food to write a little message to the child, who I want to start by saying, cannot read. Okay. So she wrote, well, she didn't write that. She wrote, you tick me off, but she didn't say tick. What? (laughs) Yeah. So, okay. So this is one of two things. Either this is just her trying to get publicity because she's on TikTok and stuff, or this is her... And, and if this is the one, I actually kind of think this is funny. This is just her getting a joke off with herself that she finds very amusing because she knows the kid's never going to yeah, be able to read yeah, it. Yeah, Emma's it's daughter. It's a joke for herself. Yes, exactly. Emma's daughter, who is too young to read, is completely oblivious to the message uh, and is seen eating away in the clip. But parents apparently <laughs> were left divided on social media. Um she said, "I, you know, she even said in the post, she posted the video or the photo or whatever it is. I assume it's a video because it's TikTok. But in the post, she even had, she put it, you know, I, I, I do, you know, I really do love her. Um, her clip has been viewed more than 4 million times and, and it's been divided. Some people are quoting or saying that's hilarious. Other, that's not very nice. You're being a bully. I think, look, I think it's funny. I don't have kids. Um, I love, I have four nephews and I love them very much. But I can see why when you're a parent, especially when you're a parent, you kind of have these moments where you need to let off a little steam yeah. sometimes. No, I, Think about this. When it, when your kid is a toddler, toddlers are inherently selfish beings. And that's not their fault. It's because through their entire life, they've, they've been catered to because they've had to be catered to. That's the only way they survive. You, your, your, your baby is at your whim. And so they... 
you like they have to be have everything catered to throughout their whole life when they're babies and young toddlers in order to survive. As soon as they grow into an age where they're sort of becoming able to take care of themselves, they still have that mindset because all they known is exclusively exclusively being catered to. And so they're, you know, even though they're old enough to in some ways take care of themselves, they're still going to be expected to be catered to because it's all they know. And it's about teaching that away from them. And so they're going to naturally be places where they just really annoy you. Yeah. And so, like, if that's this is okay, some, it doesn't mean you don't right. love them. If this is something where she was, like, serious and this is, like, but again, if she was serious, everything why would she be delivering the message this yeah, way? Everything. You know? Yes, exactly. Everything it's about this post makes me think. Yeah. Um, it's a joke or it's for attention. Yeah. Which if it, again, if it's for attention, like, really, you're using your kid for that purpose. Yeah, that, that, there, there is that. That might be the, mm-hmm. the, the, the more annoying part is that she's getting views at the expense of her kid um we're moving on now to the uh this is the uh from the associated press although it's been shared through a lot of uh different um outlets from south lake tahoe california mm, tahoe, one of south lake tahoe yes one of Derek and his family's favorite pl- i had the mm-hmm. i had the pleasure of joining Derek and his family on a trip to tahoe once i had a blast um there's a bear loose in tahoe he weighs 500 pounds and mm-hmm. he's called hank the tank Apparently, he's at it again. The 500-pound black bear has damaged more than... By the way, can you imagine a 500-pound bat falcon? (laughs) You don't want that thing over your car. Yeah. Falcon bear. What about that? The 500-pound black bear has damaged more than 30 properties around Lake Tahoe. Oh, he's a menace. And last week broke into yet another home in an endless quest for a quick meal. He's starving! He's starving! It's not like that uncommon to see bears around lake tahoe i've i've seen probably three or four bears going up there my parents were just there i don't know a couple months ago and they were on the beach just sitting down you know hanging out and here comes the black bear just strolling around people are just like standing there taking pictures i wouldn't go that far um you know i'd want to get out of there but um, I, I don't know that i want to get out of there i'm not walking up I to the thing definitely though. would if it was the 500 pounder i mean <laughs> It's like I've seen videos of like people going to try to get like selfies with a moose. Yeah, no. Thanks. I would admire a moose from afar, dude. Moose. I'm not walking up to a moose. Huge. They're enormous. They are gigantic. They would bowl you over easily. I uh, like black bears are not huge bears in comparison. Like Except grizzly Hank. bears. When you think of gigantic bear, you're probably thinking of like grizzly bear. Black bears are still big, like in comparison to like you know dogs you don't or mess humans with or whatever. Right, exactly. But yeah, they're but rarely five hundred pounds. Five hundred pound black giant. bear. Yeah, he's a he's a monster. Known by residents as Hank the Tank, the giant bear has eluded capture for more than seven months, according to Peter Tira, a spokesman for the California Department of Fish and Wildlife. What's problematic about this bear is how large it is. Tira told the San Francisco Gate on Sunday. It's learned to use its size and strength to break into a number of occupied residences, bursting through the garage door or the front door. He adds, it's pretty frightening. I'm sure it's absolutely... I shouldn't laugh, but can you imagine? You're just sitting there. Boom! Who's that? Ah! It's Hank! Yeah. Run into the bedroom, leave him to the kitchen! I, I have heard a story from someone who has also had their... 150 incident reports, yeah. Derek. No, Hank that's crazy. He's, he's basically the, the Bonnie and Clyde, but it's all one person of, of bears. But I, I've heard a story from someone who has actually had their house broken into when they've been gone by a bear, but this was a separate occasion, that this bear one time, and I think this was in Tahoe, broke into someone's house, broke into the freezer, and got a hold of some raw 
um, dough. I told you the that pizza story. dough. That was you. Yeah, and it just and they had to shoot it because the the dough expa- expanded. Yeah, the dough so expanded. Exploded. Yeah, I told you that story. Oh it was gosh. it was when a friend of mine was going. Fishing so be careful. Be in, careful. In Hank. Canada, they had some sweet dough and it, it ate it all and it expanded in its stomach and they had to kill it because yeah. it was in such awful agony because the dough was frozen and expanded in its in its um in its Tell uh, Hank to be careful, stomach. Man. Yes, be careful, Hank. Look out for dough. Look out for frozen dough. Mm-hmm. So keep you know what keep Hank. Eat what you want. You, residents of Tahoe, chain up your freezers if it has dough. This is super impressive to me. The bear smashed a window and squeezed into the house while the residents were at home. Squeezed through a window. 500 pounds, he's squeezing through windows, man. He could be he could be a left tackle. <laughs> Not only is humongous, he's apparently quite flexible and dainty on his feet. Uh, also known as Jake or Yogi or simply Big Guy, the bear is what Tira described as severely food habituated bear that has lost all fear of people and thinks of them as yeah, a food that's not source. Good. So he's, he's, he loves his food and he sees people, he thinks, hey, they supply me with nom nom. Dude, I, I saw a uh, black bear when I was in Tahoe, I think about a year ago, walking through a parking lot of an IHOP. And I, the, the first thing that Good came to stuff. my mind was, um, imagine you're out of the IHOP, have a wonderful meal of pancakes and whatever else you order. You've probably you had wa- a, you probably had a few pops. It's probably yeah. 2 a.m. You're stuffed. You and your, you and your DD have, have hit the drive <laughs> and hit, have hit IHOP for some late night, early brekkie. And you walk out into the parking lot. It's dark. You're walking to your car and all of a sudden you see a 500 pound black bear. What do you do? Do you do you run to the car? Go, do you run back in? That's IHOP? the thing. I go whatever the closest door is. Like if my car is the closest thing to me, I get into my car. If the door to the IHOP is closer to me, I go back into the IHOP. I go, we're hanging for a second. <laughs> Hank's outside. Either that or I order another platter of Just pancakes and side. I toss it toward yeah. him. And Here, I hop enjoy. In my car Later. And get. My uh, treat, Hank. <laughs> That is Around the World with Adam. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, klwn.com. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. It's about half past four. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Can I give a shout out to someone real quick? Yeah. Who is it? Uh, I learned earlier this week, um, my mom's dentist apparently loves the show. Well, shout out to Adam's mom's dentist. Yeah. Big Do you have a fan. name or is it just um, dentist? It's, uh, he's not, uh, he's, he, uh, I can't remember his name, to be honest with mm. you. But I, I also, I know a couple great uh, dentist services advertise with us, and I don't want to give free names to their competition. Yeah, good point. Good point. So, uh, my, my my Adam Dravetta's mom's dentist, you know who you are. Thanks for <laughs> listening, bud. Yeah, shout out to you. Okay, so we're going to do a draft of teams that we think can win a national title. Um, how this is going to work, we're both going to draft four teams. And you know every, who I'm not drafting? Milwaukee. I don't know. You never I know learned, they have a five-star on their team. I learned my lesson. 
What are they at right now? They're ranked 332nd <laughs> in the country of 358 uh, teams. Oh, come on, Adam. They're in a terrible conference. They got a first-round draft pick. Take them in the stock Dude, market. This is You'll crazy. go broke. They started the year ranked 120th on Ken Palm, and now they oh. are ranked 300. What did I say? 332nd. That's filthy. They are bad. I mean, that five-star kid uh, who's Patrick Baldwin. The coach's kid. The coach's kid. He uh, looks like he's missing a lot of games. I wonder if his dad's just holding him out. Soon to be the kid of an assistant coach at a different school. He is shooting 41% on twos and 26% on threes. Uh, So he ain't getting Yikes. Uh, Anyway, so on to who we think can win the national title. Yeah, uh, we're each going to take four teams. Um, We'll do a snake draft. And every week we'll update this, and you'll have the option to discard at most one team a week. Yep. And you can replace it with a free agent team, or you can just not discard anyone and stay the same. But you can you have to keep, at any given time, you keep a maximum of five. Four. Four. Well, okay. You want to do five? I'm cool no, doing no, let's five. No, do, let's do four. I was just and then do you have to have four? No, that's perfect. Do you have to have four? Yes. So if I discard one next week, I have to pick up another. That's true. You always you, know. you want to maximize. That's a good point. You're not losing anything for picking one up. All right. Um, who wants? Who do you want to go first? I'll give you the first pick. All right. Um, well, I'm gonna do the obvious one and take Gonzaga. Yeah. Yeah. That that is the obvious one. Gonzaga is. You're probably a in wagon. a more beneficial spot right now, though, because of of. Yes. So I agree. The like two Gonzaga teams you is can grab here. One. But I like having these two over that one. Now, Gonzaga devil. is 23-2 and two on the season. Um, Second-ranked offense in the country, sixth-ranked defense. They are number two in effective field goal percentage, number one in effective field goal percentage defense. They are in top three in both preventing twos and shooting twos. They're shooting 61.8% on twos this year. That is absolutely remarkable. And the best teams they've played, they did lose to Duke on a neutral floor. They did lose to Alabama. Um, on a semi-neutral floor, so you know the they're not unbeatable. It, it was a semi-home game, so I'm guessing it was at um, whatever that arena is in Seattle. I don't know. Oh, so called. okay, yeah. So the key arena, or like the Kraken play. It used to be, the, yeah, it used to be the key arena, but I don't know what it's called now. I don't know either. But or there, I don't even know if they got a new. There are other maybe. games against top opponents. They beat Texas, who's ranked, you know, that's top 15 team, 86-74. And that game was not even that close. Texas kind of closed in late. They beat UCLA, who, yes, UCLA has been a bit overrated this year. They're still like a top they're a legit, 12 team They're a legitimately the top 15 team. They beat them by 20. They're not They're not the top five team that everybody pegged them as, but they're yeah. a legitimate top five or top 15 team. And Texas Tech, who is now ranked sixth on Ken Palm, they beat them by 14. So, like, this is obviously a very good game. They're spanking everyone in WCC play. That is a very clear number one pick in my eyes. Uh, okay, so I have back-to-back picks, number two and number three. I will go Kentucky and Arizona. Yep. I just have the Wildcats fever, I guess. Um, Kentucky is really good on offense. They're kind of similar to Kansas in that regard. That they're really good on offense, not as good on defense, but uh, they are better on defense than where Kansas is. Um, they are 
I guess, constructed in a way that I really like in March. You have a really good backcourt, Ty Ty Washington and Severe Wheeler. Now, both guys have kind of dealt with injuries this season, but they're really good. They have a three-point shooter on the outside, Kellen Grady, and then you have that that star, National Player of the Year candidate and Oscar Sheepway. Now, I'm not totally sure they have that matchup nightmare, which I like for a team to have that. I think she defensive, or at least on the boards, is a matchup nightmare. Yeah. But he's not, he can score, but he's not... An unrelenting, you can't stop him from yeah. scoring. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to have a, a kind of three or four man. I don't know, maybe Kellen Grady is a matchup nightmare because having him as your fourth best player, being able to shoot, I guess I kind of take that back a little bit. So uh, they're really good. They have a coach who's won a national title. That's the other thing here. Like um, having coaches who have success in the NCAA tournament, having coaches who have been to final fours, won national titles. You know, I'll, I'll take all those things. Give me Kentucky. And then with Arizona, it is a little bit more of an unproven with the head coach, with Tommy Lloyd. But he was with Gonzaga for so long as, a, as an assistant coach. And Gonzaga has, I, I know a lot of people will, will kind of bag on Gonzaga. That, oh, you've been this great team so long, you haven't won a title. They are still doing remarkable things in the NCAA tournament. The only way that they have, I guess, underperformed is just if you count titles. But like, KU has one title. John Calipari has one title. It's really freaking hard to win titles. Roy Williams, as, as great as he was, won three titles, even with the spree at the end, or was it four? He won um, three, but he yeah, didn't. Three. He didn't, he, it took him, 40 years of coaching? It took him 16 years. It's hard. The greatest coach ever. I mean, I guess if people want to argue, John wouldn't, but I, mm-hmm. I would say it's Krzyzewski. The great, In my mind, the greatest coach ever in 40 years of coaching won five. Yeah, it's crazy. It's hard. So... I don't knock that against them. They've been to like seven straight Sweet 16s. They've been to like two of the last four Final Fours. So anyway, uh, he does have coaching experience uh, from that. Arizona's just really good at both ends. Like, they don't have a big weakness. They're seventh on offense. They're eighth on defense. They have all sorts of NBA talent. They get easy baskets. They don't give up easy baskets. It does scare me a little bit. They're not a great three-point shooting team, and they are not a team that has, like, elite guard play. Um, but I think the talent all around it, like Benedict Matherin, player of the year candidate on the wing, Christian Coloco, 7-1 center, stud. They have all sorts of big depth. Um, that's the thing, the, the size and length for them. They have three dudes, 6'11", 7'7", who are all going to play significant minutes. They it, it does scare me because of the guard play and because maybe they are less prone to playing a team with like a stretch four that given the certain matchup, they could be in a little bit of trouble, but they are just a really good basketball team. So, so far, I took the number one team on Ken Palm. You just took the number two and three teams on Ken Palm. Yeah, we're just going in order. The number four team on Ken Palm is the Baylor Bears, and mm. I'm not going to pick them. I think they were kind of on a swoon even before Chamo Chachua got hurt. They're, I mean, I, I you know, they're great. I was um, in the um, – I'll proudly say that I, I – even though there were – it took for way too long for people to realize how great of a coach Scott Drew is. I, I can proudly count myself among the people who thought of him as a really damn good coach by about 2010. Um, they have a, they have a fantastic coach. They have a good roster. They're fourth in Ken Palm. It's going to be really hard. And, and I, I'm entirely, if you want to say I'm I'm too much of a prisoner of the moment, if you want to say I'm a homer, fine, do it. I, I'm taking Kansas, man. They... And, and maybe I've just jinxed them, and they're going to lose by 20 in Waco this Saturday. I just really like this team, man. They can score so damn well. 
Well, I mean, the exercise essentially here is is we're basically narrowing down the eight teams we think can win a yeah. title or most likely. I think Kansas has emerged into that. That doesn't mean it'll happen. I, I think they're very clearly behind the three that have mm-hmm. already been drafted. I think the three that have already – and I actually personally put Arizona – I think Gonzaga and Kentucky are in their own spot. I think Arizona is by themselves at number three. I think they're solidly better than everybody behind them, but I don't think they're quite to Kentucky-Gonzaga level. But I do think anybody after Arizona is is capable of winning a national title, but not as good as those as the three teams that we've already taken. I'm taking Kansas. I think they can play in such a way that if you want to run, they're happy to run with you. If you want to make it half court, they've got a dude who is not going to win national player of the year, but is a legitimate top five national player of the year candidate. Um, and he can score in multiple different ways, uh, whether it be from three or if you want to make him score from two. Uh, obviously, the scary part of Kansas is the inconsistent play of uh, David McCormick, um, which has been improved upon somewhat in that his floor has been raised. He's like his floor now looks more like nine and five mm-hmm. rather than the two and one it used to be. Uh, and then you know the next, I'm going all the way down. I'm going to take Nova. Um, I th- I think they can just I think they can wind up as a three seed and shoot their way into the final four and then who knows what happens. Yeah, and, and I, they've got and you want to I mean the, if a coach has won two national titles, one is a one seed and one is a two seed. Yeah, and I I was hoping you didn't take Villanova because I I was very interested in taking them. Like you said, they have the pedigree. I mean that as much as anything is part of this, and and I know last year was probably an off for that, maybe even the year before. So maybe this is something that's trending away. But it's almost the, like, say-it-out-loud test or the picture-it test. Can you picture this school, this team, winning a title, something like that, the confetti going down on them? Baylor— And you can with Villanova. And you could—if you actually watched Baylor last year, you could picture— I understand that if you said said Baylor, you would have been like, no way. But if you actually watched Baylor, it would have been like K-State football in 1998. If you knew K-State football before then— You'd have been like, okay, well, they used to be terrible. They've been good through some of the 90s, but really winning a national title. But if you, if you actually sat down and watched that team, you'd have been like, okay, yeah, that's a real national title contender. Same for Baylor last year. You would have been like, okay, well, they've been really good, but come on, it's Baylor. But if you actually watched Baylor, you said, okay, you know, that's a real title title threat. Mm-hmm. Well, and okay, like if you look at things, Baylor was a first-time national champion in 2021. 2019, the previous NCAA tournament champion, since it wasn't a tournament in 2020. Virginia, they were a first-time NCAA tournament national champion. Before those two won it, you have to go all the way back to 2006 Florida for a school who won it as a first-time national champion. The point is, it doesn't happen often, and it's happened the last two times I know it's it's not an exact science that those don't impact this year. It's like the roulette wheel we always talk about. Like, either way, the next spin's still 50-50. But, like, just in my head, it's hard for me to say, oh, yeah, an- another new school is going to win this year. So I like the idea of taking Villanova there. As, as- especially since they've got the same coach. Yeah. Um, okay. I Some other schools that are on this list, I have back-to-back picks here. Like, I don't think either one of us want Houston. They're a really good team. Metrics love them, but I'm going to tell you right now, no. I mean, two of their best players are hurt. You're going to finish out your draft before I do, but I will freely tell you I, I, I'm i not taking Texas Tech. Yeah, I, I was thinking about Texas Tech, but again, like, that's kind of the say-it-out-loud test. I think for me, the bigger thing with Tech is that as great as the defense is, 
the offense is not good enough to win a and, title. And if a team gets, if they run into a team that just gets unstoppably hot, like they're just so hot three. that it doesn't yeah. matter how good your defense is playing, they just can 12 threes in spite of your defense. I don't know that I can't, I don't trust Tech or Houston. Houston's got a much better offense than um, than Tech, but I really don't, tech to, don't trust Tech mm. to keep up with a team that just happens to get hot one night. If we go right to where Villanova is, Tennessee right above them. Rick Barnes hasn't had a ton of success in the tournament. Also, their offense leaves a little something Did to be desired. Did he just have those two Elite Eights? 06 and 08? Um, I thought he was the head coach for the... Was he not the head coach for the TJ Ford year? Who was that? Oh, you're right. No, he made the Final Four. I'm okay. an idiot. Yeah, 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 you're right. He made the Final Four. But he's three. had a lot of like second round outs and stuff last year in the first round. Um, Purdue, who's right below Villanova, has the offense that they could do it. But the defense is atrocious, and also they also classify in like the Say It Out Loud test. Matt Painter, I don't think, has ever made the Final Four. I think he just has the one Elite Eight. When they well, and which he, they probably should have made. It was the final some four. funny business away from going to the Final yeah. Four that in that Elite Eight game. So I'm not going to take them. So that leaves me with two pretty. I don't know. I, I think it's down to three teams for me. I, maybe it's four because even as bad as even as as undesirable as the Tech offense is, they're still in discussion for me there. Even though I'm not going to take them. UCLA has the program pre- pedigree. They went to the Final Four last year. I'm not going to take them, but they are in discussion. The two teams I'm going to take: Duke. They are ninth in Ken Palm. I was eyeing them. Um, they have the program pedigree. They have the head coach. They also have the storyline. As much as I don't want this to play into things. The idea of it being Coach K's final season, like, there is a part of me that's just like, oh, of course they're going to win the title this year, as much as I don't want it to happen. Um, And they do have, like, they're playing kind of crap teams in the ACC, so it's going to be kind of hard to judge how good this team is. But if we just look at it from a pro prospecting, like, Paolo Bancaro is going to be a top three to five pick. Wendell Moore is first, second round pick. Trevor Keels, late first round pick. Mark Williams, first round pick. A.J. Griffin, top ten pick. I mean, that's, that's five first or early second round picks five probably top 40 guys in the NBA draft they have the dudes that could make it happen they beat Gonzaga earlier this year and all of their losses have come to like teams who are lower than them like Ohio State is a top 25 team they lost to them all three of their other losses are to teams ranked 60th or below on Ken Palm but when they've played the better teams which maybe this means they'll lose in like the second round. I say that that could mean that if there are two, they could be in, they could get some, in some scare from their seven or ten. But if they do get out of that first weekend, they beat Kentucky, they beat Gonzaga. Um, they haven't played a ton of the top teams because the ACC has been that way. But pretty much all the top teams outside of, um, I don't know, every top team in the ACC they've beaten. Again, all their losses are outside of top six in the ACC play. So uh, I'll take Duke there, and then I will go Auburn for the other one. They kind of do fall under the, you know, a little bit of the, uh, can you really see Auburn winning a national title? But the way they have been as a program lately, I kind of can. They made the Final Four a couple years ago. And again, funny business for Virginia to win that game. Um, This is my last pick, so I'll, I'll go with it. But they have, again, NBA dudes. Now, they're they have good guards, but they're not great guards. That does scare me off them a little bit. But I mean... Uh, when you look at Jabari Smith, he's going to be either the number one or number two pick in the draft. He's a stud. Walker Kessler is a beast down low at the center position. He blocks so many shots. Uh, they are a really good basketball team, so I will take Auburn as my last pick. Um, This is going to sound dumb because I just compared the, this team to Texas Tech in our last discussion. But I am actually, I, I don't know how long I'll hold on to him, but I'm actually going to take Houston because the more I look okay. at him, the more I'm like, not only are they... 
they're worse defensively than Texas Tech, but not I mean, not only are they but not only are they better at offense than Texas Tech, they're markedly better. They're top 15 in, in offense and defense. We've talked about the importance of being uh, among the top 20 or so in both categories on Ken Palm if you want a national champion, if you want to win a national championship. Um it feels strange leaving UCLA behind. Um, on the topic, I'm of- going to say something about Houston real quick. I will let you change your pick if you want to off of this this data. It's a small stat. Houston has played three teams in the Ken Palm top fifty. They are zero and three. Who? How bad were the losses? Do you know? Lost to Wisconsin by two in the Maui slash Las Vegas Invitational. Uh, lost to Alabama by one on the road, and lost to Memphis at home by ten. Memphis is by far the worst loss out of that one. Um, yeah, those those the first two losses were when they had some of their players. They're now missing two of their normal starters. Yeah, I'm going to stick with them because they. Okay. I mean, they've got both. Worst them case, and, you can just change them out next week. Yeah, both so. them and UCLA have very close, um, have very recent Final Four experience. Uh, he, they've got a coach who's made two Final Fours now. The only way I would lean is just because we talked so much about the importance of program pedigree. Um, you'd be looking at a team like North Carolina, and I just They're something about enough. this North Carolina team. I don't think. Call me crazy. I don't see the Tar Heels cutting down the nets. Do you think we have the title winner among these eight teams? Um, I think if we don't, it's like, UC- would you take this or the field? Uh, yo, this. Yeah. I, the only team I'm looking at is is UCLA. Yeah. I still. I mean, te- I think UCLA is a better shot at winning the title than Texas Tech does, and Texas Tech is ranked sixth in Ken Palm. And UCLA is tenth, mm-hmm. and they, I could be missing something. And, and Tech maybe look look like an idiot, and they just pull a Virginia and score fifty five a game on their way to a national championship this year. But no, but that Virginia team they had was, a fine offense. That's yeah, that's what was different about that Virginia team. They were number two in the country that year in adjusted offensive efficiency. Um, I mean, they so, had they had like three pros, three first round picks yeah. playing offense. So I uh, I, I think. The, if there's a team, if there's a, and there's a very good chance we'll drop somebody and pick up one of us will pick up UCLA next week. But I think if they, if we don't have the title winner, it's it's UCLA. Yeah, I think you're right. All right, he's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. We'll take a timeout. When we come back, we'll let you hear what Bill Self had to say after the game yesterday with KU taking on Kansas State. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Depending on it. Five o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN with Adam Rivetta, Derek Johnson. KU takes down Kansas State last night. Um, we'll get more into that in a second. I do want to mention a quick news story. The Champions Classic was, um, or according to Jeff Goodman, it sounds like it might be moved back a week next year. So the because, second week instead of well, the tip-off? Uh, yeah, because uh, apparently it's election week, and so they would want to move it back. But also, oh, because it's on a Tuesday, isn't it? Yeah, he he said as part of the tweet, Jeff Goodman, that um, it could end up being a permanent change, and that they might from now on have it be the second week of the college season. Which well, there it's been, gone back and forth. I was going to say there yeah. have been other years in which that was KU's third mm-hmm. game. The year that I they, like it better that way the, personally. The Frank Mason game winner against Duke, mm-hmm. they had already played two games by then hadn't they at least i know they played at least one they lost to indiana mm-hmm. and i feel like they they had one of their like their friday night you know shelling of a of a one bid team um 
already. So I think they were one and one going into that game. No, yeah, for the most part, it was like that for a while, and then they they changed to it being the the opening night, maybe two or three years ago. Well, the way, and the, for the longest time, what they did is it capped off the twenty four hour college basketball marathon, which they don't do anymore. Mm-hmm. That was fun. I you have like Hawaii that. playing exactly. At like you still, yeah, it was so fun. It started about ten p.m. Um, with the thought that the Champions Classic will end around ten p.m. And from oh, that was <laughs> I don't understand like. College basketball is not nearly as popular as, as a lot of other sports. It's not nearly as popular around the nation as it is here in Lawrence. But the, And so they need things like that. They need more of these things, I think. Yeah. Oh, it's, I mean, it was just fun. Um, okay, so KU takes down K-State. We mentioned a lot of the, you know, in the open, how great the offense was. It is phenomenal how good this offense is. It is a national title winning offense that KU has right now. And how good they did from two in addition to the three-point shooting, all these things. David McCormick did have a, a bit of a tougher game. And we heard in the post game, Bill Self talking about that, you know, Dave was kind of dealing with some things. We know he had the offseason foot surgery, and Self has kind of mentioned at different points this season that he's kind of just having to deal with it and, and play through it. Do what we is, know? Did he get a. a- a, a plate what, what do we know about that surgery i have no idea i have no idea what it would be um but what do you think is a bigger deal at this point dave's foot or remy's knee dave's foot because I'm, I'm i'm basing that on i don't expect much from remy anyway from down the stretch yeah and, and they've proven they can still play an elite level of offense without remy um i still think they need dave i would have i would have I wouldn't have said this so so suddenly at the beginning of the season um, that if I had to choose who do they need more, Remy or Dave, but I think now with what they've shown without Remy, I still think their ceiling is higher with Remy because he can score more reliably than Joe Yesifu if you want to play that two-lead two guard lineup. Um, but at this moment, I think the bigger deal would be, would be Dave being healthy. Well, I think you're right. I think like if you just take the injury in its own, the Remy knee is obviously a more, like I'm not saying one's more painful or worse than the other. Oh, but the I, Remy I took injury, that to mean who's yeah, a bigger yeah, no, deal no, to I miss know, out on. That's where I was going. I'm just saying like by the injury itself, um, the Remy injury has obviously kept him from playing more games. So for that standpoint, it's a bigger deal. But yeah, I, I think I agree with you because who knows if Remy's going to even be back at this point. You do expect Dave. You do need Dave and want Dave headed into March to be playing with this team. And, and while the Remy knee is hindering him from playing, the the Dave foot isn't doing that, but it, it could be hindering how well he's playing in specific games. And like I said, you you know, you know need Dave moving forward. The way that KU's playing without Remy of late shows you that, yeah, it'd be nice to have Remy Martin back, and certainly he would add certain things if he does come back and is playing like the guy that you expected him to in the preseason. But um, without that knowledge and with guys like Joe Yesfu and others stepping up, it is the Dave foot. And I feel like I, missing Dave um, makes opponents, not in the sense that n- nobody, at least nobody with any sort of decency, no, I don't. I like to think no coach is going, oh boy, I'm happy that kid's injured. I don't think that's happening. But I do think missing Dave, KU opponents see that as an opportunity. I think Remy coming back, they they don't see they don't see him leaving as more of, not being there as an opportunity for their team. 
I think it's more like, oh my God, now you're more mm-hmm. you're adding more ice cream to this damn Sunday. Yeah, and the, whereas the, with Dave, you're taking away a big scoop. Right. Uh, the drop off of of when Dave is playing well versus not playing well is very noticeable, and it's very changeable to this team. I that is a little scary though that now this is a couple times over the last month or so that we have heard about Dave's foot being a problem, and for for a team like Kansas, uh, over the last decade become very familiar with big men having injuries headed into March. Yeah, uh, Udoka was an odd one. Uh, although Udoka what was, what never was his played injury? in a Big 12 tournament. What was his injury the year that he was that he came back for the tournament and they made the Final Four? So, yeah. Because I know the, it was the, the wrist thing, which I that still think. That was freshman think, season. I still think that was something. Or the first wrist. I think that was something genetic because they happened. It was the same injury in each wrist. Yeah, he had. The, um, so he had so the I wrist. think the, the fact that it happened in one wrist in his freshman year, I think because of that, something must have been weak in both wrists, and that second one was inevitable. But both of those happened before Christmas break. Yeah. So just to go through all these, obviously everybody uh, knows the Joel Embiid one. Obviously, pretty prevalent in KU season. Um, the next season in 2014-2015, you have the, this wasn't an injury, but Cliff Alexander, the NCAA stuff, which he wasn't like a great player or even the starter, but. I mean, he's 9-5-2, I think, yeah, wasn't he? I think it was like 7.5-5, and you know, solid player, fine. I, I don't know if that would affect you because that team wasn't that great, but still, another case where you were missing an important big man. You're after that, 2015-16. Was that one of the years that they were actually? No, fine that one on worked because that was the year where it. Uh, that was the hey, who do you feel more comfortable with, Hunter That's Mickelson right. or Landon Lucas? Yeah, and then 2016-17, you get rise. back to it with Udoka, which that to that point in the season, like once you were in March, it was a after because Doka got hurt so but early in the that ri- season. Both wrist injuries for Udoka happened before Christmas break, yes. before conference play. So he was out for the year. So you missed Doka, but looking back on it. And this is easier with hindsight, knowing how good Udoka became. I don't know if he would have been good enough as a freshman, but when you saw that Oregon game and the way that Jordan Bell just devoured them inside, mm-hmm. would have been nice to have a, a physical big man like Doke to be able to throw the other way, right? Um, so 2017-18 then. If nothing else, it would have tired him out. Yeah, 2017-18, Doke. I believe it was an MCL. I think it was an MCL, okay. like a sprain or something like that, and he missed... The Big 12 tournament, because, again, he never played in the Big 12 tournament in his career. And Silvio DeSosa stepped up big to help KU yes, win he did. that one. And then Mitch Lightfoot and Silvio basically split big man minutes for the first tournament NCAA tournament game. And then Doak played a little bit in the Seton Hall game because Angel Delgado was torching that everybody was, on KU. That was the, the Seton Hall game was the um, the famous Doak gif mm-hmm. where he opens his mouth That's about right. 18, yeah. feet, 18 feet high. Yeah, and they made the face cutouts and stuff. Giant mouth. So you have that one. Then 18-19, again, you have the other wrist for Doak that caused him to miss the whole season. And then 19-20, you don't have the big injury. You just don't have a Big 12 or NCAA <laughs> you tournament. You have the big, big injury yeah. to the whole world. And then last year, again, you have David McCormick get COVID and Deal with the injured foot that he played with over the last two weeks of the season that caused him to have to get surgery. And and, and now look, you could be dealing with another foot injury. And, and you wonder how much, I mean, he, he was really good. He and Dewan Harris, wasn't Dewan the guy who stepped up against Eastern Washington? Yeah, he had a big game. And, and McCormick also had a big game mm-hmm. against Eastern Washington. Uh, but you wonder against, now Mobley was an incredible player. You don't, I mean, I don't know how much of a, if, if Dave fully healthy, but you, you do wonder if his conditioning was off because of, have you know? As far as I remember, his his COVID symptoms were all reportedly mild, but still, the fact that it happened, you wonder if his conditioning was a little off. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's look, it's a foot on a big man. That's a that's a ton of weight. That's a small body part, relatively speaking. He has big feet, but in general, the foot is a small body part carrying all of you, uh, and he's a lot of person. It's something to keep an eye on, man, and that's scary. But I, I think if there's something to be happy about, it's that I, I think he's proven that he can kind of take it easy throughout practice and still be a reliable player in game, and that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, that's that's a very big deal, and uh, what happens with that is going to be very important. Now, obviously, the big man depth will be important to try to cover that up if something does happen. Mitch Lightfoot was great last night. We, once again, second straight game, we don't really see Zach Clements. Now, West Virginia game, he didn't play at all. He did play against Kansas State, but it was basically garbage time in that game. I think it's probably safe to say now, you know, after because after the first game, it was like let's wait and see against Oklahoma. Then Oklahoma State, he he did play a lot, and it was like okay, maybe this is a real thing. Maybe he is part of the rotation. But what we've learned the last two games, I think it's safe to say Zach Clements is not and will not be a part of the rotation the rest of the way, barring like an injury or something. The only thing when I say part of the rotation, I don't mean that he's never going to play. I'm saying like consistently, night in, night out. You say, uh, okay, we know Jay Yasufu is part of the rotation. He's going to play 10 mm-hmm. to 20 minutes. We know Dewan Harris is going to play 30 to 40 minutes. We know all these guys, right? With Zach Clements, it's more of just do you have a he's Tanner, a matchup piece. Do you have, right? a, Tanner, yeah, do you have a Tanner Grove like, yes. type player? Do you have that guy or one of the big men in foul trouble? Or again, is there an injury? But as far as just going in night in, night out, saying, yeah, we'll, we'll expect a 5 to 10 minute you know, amount of playing time for Zach Clements, I think that's out the window. Yeah, I, I agree. But I think he's a, he's shown to be very reliable if you use him for mm-hmm. matchup purposes. And maybe that's all you need from him, right? Um, it's, because it's the hope. If you are playing a stretch five in the elite or, or in the uh, second round of the NCAA tournament or something, having that guy to go out there for 10, 15 minutes on that specific matchup, you know, it, it's like a uh, it's like a lefty specialist coming out of the bullpen in baseball. Yeah, a little sidewinder. Like you're not going to use him to close out the ninth inning, but to have that in your back pocket. The only thing that I worry about is just like, and this is kind of a chicken and egg thing, but um, how much does it matter if you're not getting consistent minutes? Will you be ready as a young player to fill into that big role in that big moment? You know? Yeah, I, I'll say this. I think that's one of those things where you either have it or you don't. Mm-hmm. you're either the type of person who comes in ready or doesn't. I don't know that gaining that extra minutes now will mean like if it, I guess I'm of the belief that if he comes in and kind of isn't ready in for, for matchup purposes and in tournament time and, and kind of shutters at that, I think he's, he could play 20 minutes a game now. And, and I think he would still be that type of person. I think you either have that or you don't. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the proof, is in the pudding with the Oklahoma game. He hadn't played for, what, six weeks? I think Bill Self said... He was more than ready. Yeah, he had practiced, I think, two or three times. And he comes in and and does that. That has to give you, I I think, a good uh, sign of hope that he would be okay doing that. And I think, to a certain extent, you have that a little bit with K.J. Adams. He struggled a little bit last night in the limited time that he was in there. But we've seen that with K.J., like in the Texas Tech game. You know, that he stepped up and, and was a big performer in that game. So that is nice that you have the different pieces. And, and that's kind of what's interesting about this KU bench. It's not one of the better benches that KU's had. It's not one of the deeper teams in terms of the depth performing night in, night out. But they all have a, 
a certain role. They all have a specific piece of the jigsaw puzzle that they do. I also think that both KJ and Zach Clements do something that a lot of coaches ask for out of young players. They may not be perfectly knowledgeable. They may not know everything. But they, the, the old cliche, if you're going to screw up, at least screw up at full speed. Mm-hmm. It does seem like they, they, they play at full speed. Yeah, they do. Um, and I, I think both of them have a nice, bright future with KU as well. With Adam Rivetta, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Shock Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. We'll be back after this to listen to some KU audio. This is RCST.